Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about commercial property investing and join our real estate family. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. And in today's episode, we are continuing our conversation with Renat Yusufov. He is a managing partner at Bullpen, and we are going to continue learning everything that you should put in your pro forma when you are analyzing a property. We are also going to ask him what is the most profitable asset class out there from everything he has seen and also what are some of the best markets to be in so lots of great info the youtube video recording will be under show notes as well as the video for part one here we go so we have an on pro forma here for stabilization this is where i mentioned earlier you know it's dealer's choice being an office product being multi-tenanted chances are you're going to go through Argus. It's a software, right, that you, you know, you plug in your assumptions, you plug in your rent roll or your expected rent roll, and it basically does the pro forma for you. Some people have an aversion to it because it doesn't allow for more flexibility. However, it does allow for more detail. So that's really, you know, the double-edged sword there. I would argue, my personal opinion, the more complex your office product is, meaning the more tenants you have, the more nuance you have about leasing, and staggering timelines, the more likely you prefer to go with Argus. Sure. Again, it's, you know, it's, it's a little more painful in terms of editing on the fly, but the flip side of it is that it's definitely more accurate than anything you would probably be able to build in Excel. So with that, this is really a summary of where you expect to land. And a lot of this is actually pulling from the Argus, which Argus lets you pull in um, Excel tabs basically as an outputs, so you can integrate it back into your Excel on both the assumptions, um, the leasing summary, um, and the base rent. And obviously you can change all of these numbers based on very specific location of the property. Exactly. Yep. And again, that goes back to, you know, you know, you're building in, you know, the South side of a certain city in a certain state, you'll talk to the brokers who have experience there and they'll tell you what the rents will be. It'll tell you how long it'll be on the market before you'll find a tenant, you know, and what the terms are and the big terms obviously being free rent. TILC, so that's tenant improvements, leasing commissions, and the term it'll take to find a tenant, <laughs> yep. as well as the credit. So this is really a summary. And like I said, you're going to have different audiences for this model. It, it's better to have it here than for them to have to you know, run around the tab looking for the specific month when you stabilize and what the rent looks like then. I show it as a total dollars per net square foot and dollars per gross square foot because this is a construction project. So you, you're building gross regardless, right? But you want to show how that, net, that rent looks both net and gross. Same thing with expenses, you would vet this out with probably an asset manager or somebody who has experience in asset management. At the very beginning phases of this project, you're gonna be talking, like I said, dollars per foot or dollars per net square foot. I would say as you're getting more refined, as you know exactly what you're building, <laughs> as you know, the market or as the project matures, you're gonna be a little more fine-tuned on these numbers, right? So for example, cleaning contracts. You know, Once you have a contract in hand signed, you'll know what exactly this number looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, you know, somebody who has asthmatic experience, like whether you hire through bullpen, whether you have somebody internal, you have a third party doing that for you, they'll be able to tell you, right? It's, it's you know, dollar fifth to dollars a foot, something like that. Below that, this is a very simplistic timeline because it is construction. Obviously, there's multiple phases. Depending on 
you know, what your pre-development looks like. If you're doing any kind of land assemblage, any kind of permitting, there's going to be different phases here. And I've seen some relatively complex deals where depending on the phase, a different equity investor is paying for that part. All that's to say, I try to keep it simple here just to not make it confusing. Um, you really have a date that you start, right? I just put it in January mm-hmm. this year. And you're saying it's going to take me 24 months to build. The months of stabilization is from Argus in this case. And then when do you want to sell it, right? In this case, you're, how many months are you holding it for stabilized value? This is a very you know, personal concept, depending on how you're structured as either mm-hmm. a developer or if you're a developer and investor. Um, or if you're a private equity fund who develops, um, you know, these might be very finite timelines of, you know, five years, 10 years, seven years, whatever it it is. From a development point of view, chances are you make your money as a developer, right, on your fees (laughs) Mm -hmm. and on exit. So you're probably just, you're trying to stabilize it and get out, you know, and pass on that value to somebody who wants a, a build product that they don't need to do anything with. Commonly in real estate referred to as leading meat on the bone <laughs> for the next guy. Yep. <laughs> so this project specifically starts in January, 24 months of construction. In this case, it includes a pre-development just to not make it confusing. 42 months to stabilize, and then you exit six months after that. So 48 months after it's built, you exit. So 48 plus 24. Sorry, my math is a little bad here. Uh, six years, nice. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're on the subject, I'll move over to the monthly cash flows just so we're on. Actually, let me just go through it really quickly. So budget, as I mentioned, you have all the individual line items. This is really something you'll vet with your GC, most mm-hmm. likely. I don't think it's anything that crazy, right? It's, it's like any other cost, you know, like, like your personal family or, you know, monthly budget. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> how you built this. Sources and uses is, again, a summary. Uh, we saw it on the first page. This is really a breakout for anybody who needs the details between what you need the day you close versus what you need to build and where I want to end up monthly cash flows. So again, like I said, this is the engine, right? And if you're an investor or a lender, unless you're really, really diving in deep, you're not going to be necessarily looking at this the first time you see the deal. The goal here really is to show every single month from the first month of funding where the property stands. Obviously, these are all zeros because you're in construction phase. There's multiple ways to do this kind of formula, but in relation to what I was talking about linking to the durations, I like to do a formula where it tells me like, okay, well, month seven, you're still in construction. A lot of these formulas here will actually be driven based on what this cell says, right? So as you're going through construction of 24 months, then it realizes, all right, month 25, as we discussed, begins the lease up, 48 months, stabilize. And then whenever you exit is, I mean, this will go for 10, seven years. So right. one year more. So you have the future and why the goal here is obviously, you know, you say, okay, well, if I want to exit as an investor or as a lender, what is my risk of waiting until before stabilization, right? At what point in lease up, do mm-hmm. I hit the yield that I need to be, or what, at what point am I operationally profitable? And the last part and the exit essentially is the biggest toggle here is obviously cap rate. You're stabilizing a property and you're selling it for a certain yield. I put 10 at least 6%. Again, you know, in a post-corona environment that we're living in, office is an interesting subject. Not, you know, a lot of opportunity and I guess, you know, a lot of hurt in some cases that are happening in the office space. I think we're seeing a cultural revolution, frankly, in terms of office. This could be a, probably a whole other podcast, and I'm sure you've done several episodes on it. Yep, um, we, we've but, had that 
already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the project I picked here specifically, right, is more, like I said, open layout, high ceiling, shared amenities. I think this is where office is going. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, just, you know, just showing what kind of concept you'd probably be wanting to build today. Again, depending on the market, you know, today I actually, I was reading the news, I think 19% of New York City offices on the market, double-edged sword, right? It is an opportunity yeah. and it was a tragedy at the same time, depending on who you are and depending on what kind of company you are as a tenant or as uh, an investor. Opportunity uh, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, I agree, right? I, I think <laughs> when people leave is when you want to get in. Yep. <laughs> um, so... All that's to say the cap rate is going to be a very contentious topic with pretty much every party involved. And I would say this, nobody is necessarily wrong or right. Keep in mind that this is six years from now that you're estimating what this property will be worth um, or what buyers will want to, where buyers will want to put their money. And the best way to portray this is if you go back six years and read, you know, the best of the best, right? You read the CBRE, the Newmark reports. I will guarantee you most of them are wrong, right? And yep. that's not, not because they don't know what they're doing, but because that's life, right? Six yep. years from now, who knows where we'll be? Who knows where the Fed will put interest rates? Who knows where you know, money will be coming from? If I told you six years ago that most of the world will have negative rates and you can get a mortgage for under 3%, that would be insane, yep. <laughs> right? But that's, that's the world we live in today. With that in mind, obviously that drives cap rate compression because people are trying to park their money somewhere. If I tell you that, look, you give me a hundred dollars, I'll give you $6 a year and then six, you know, hundred dollars at the end of it. And it's an office product and it's stabilized. You might do it even today, depending on the market. All that's to say, obviously, you know, this is where you'll have a conversation about, look, I stabilize at 21 million NOI. This specific one has, you know, rent abatements, ICAP, any other kind of um, tax rebates, et cetera. You know, you'll have a conversation about what your NOI looks like. One thing to comment here, I'm sure you might have covered this elsewhere, but you're, you're always looking at deals on the forward NOI. So basically the next 12 years, 12 months. And I tell you, okay, well, you want to buy that profit, right? At, you know, 6% yield, right? Because you're comparing it to a bond, you're comparing it to other investors or sorry, mm-hmm. investments. That's where the cap rate driver comes in, right? And you cap your gross value. You take out the sale costs. I put them tentatively at 3%. And then you get to your total net sale proceeds in this case. So we're really at kind of the end of the model at this point. As you can see, this is a coincidence, but it's, it's very convenient. This is your total cost that you built to. This is what you're exiting for. Obviously, you want to exit at a higher valuation than what you built it for. Those numbers look great. Wait, right, where is right. this office? <laughs> exactly. Um, obviously, I can't present you a bad project. That would, just, <laughs> no, that would make no sense. <laughs> Never. Yeah. How are you 100% sure that someone didn't mess up on one little formula that could derail the entire <laughs> thing? It's a, it's a fantastic question nobody ever asks. Um, you obviously want to make sure that the analyst or you know, professional that you have or contractor um, knows what they're doing. has the experience of doing this you as a sponsor right are the one if you're the one presenting this are the one that should walk through this whenever you have your first model or if you built it obviously walk through it and review check your work as always you know this is true for any business any aspect of any business i will note one thing if you're an investor or a lender or another third party that receives this model right you aren't the initial owner or the initial builder of it the goal here is at first glance right you have to take a look here 
Um, and as you're going through the deal, and this is true for lenders specifically, right? The way a lender works is they'll pass it off once they're serious about the deal and underwriting it, they'll pass it off to an analyst within their own company who will vet this, right? And you'll have and sometimes aggressive calls and sometimes you know less aggressive calls, but a complete vetting of pretty much the entire engine that I've mentioned. The onus is on everyone really that's involved in the deal to take a look and make sure it's accurate. I don't think there's any shortcuts to that. I think you know sure. checking your work, this goes back to relationships, trusting that the people you're going into business with are professional and um, accurate about what they do or mm-hmm. as accurate as they can be. Definitely. And if someone wanted to work with you guys on a project, what would they need to provide you? What kind of numbers and information? Sure. So the process here is if we have an employer reach out, um, our sales representative works with them to take down their initial scope, you know, understanding the kind of product they work, right? Because we don't just do office, whether it's residential, industrial, land use, you know, single family rentals, pretty much all the food groups. Location geographically, what specific skill sets are they looking for? Outside, like I mentioned, outside of underwriting, you know, whether you need leasing skills, you need asset management skills, you need somebody who will be able to be on site, maybe. They take down the scope. We go through our pool of uh, freelancers to see who has the skill set and who's available and within the rate that the employer wants to pay. And we make that introduction. There's an interview, obviously, to make sure that everyone understands the scope and everyone's comfortable with it. And if the relationship is okay, we create a contract and then you can work directly with the freelancer from then on. In terms of what gets provided to the freelancer or the professional, if I were the underwriter, right, if somebody asked me to underwrite this deal for them, the big things I would ask, obviously the location, um, obviously what they're trying to build. Construction costs usually get provided by a client. Mm -hmm. However, we have some clients who say, look, I also need help with finding bids from general contractors. Mm-hmm. So can you provide me a short list of the best general contractors for this market or that you know of, and we can schedule calls with them, right? So it, it's really a white glove employee service, right? That you don't have to pay full time <laughs> is really how this works. I've had some, some um, employers ask me to help them gather this information, help them understand what is the land actually cost, right? On a per foot basis, what should they be willing to pay for it? But generally speaking, high level, this usually gets provided by the employer. Chances are they should know, you know, more or less what they're building. Um, It's Mm -hmm. fine if they don't. And also the business plan in terms of, you know, what are they building here, right? How much retail are they building? How many office square footage, the square footage they're building for the office, the retail, any kind of amenities, you know, how they're bifurcating it, you know, like if they're doing bigger office floor, floor maps, smaller ones, how many, you know, tenants per floor, et cetera. This usually helps you have a more meaningful conversation around rents and the leasing assumptions for either Argus or Excel that you're doing. So those are the two big things that get provided. Outside of that, I, I mean, I tend to do the financing myself in terms of assumptions, right? These are relatively market across, you know, across the country or across various markets, especially if you know the market. But if somebody tells me that, look, I have a relationship with this lender, this is going to be their terms. I obviously plug that in. Same thing with the equity. I have a systematic um, investor that I work with or a systematic fund. This is going to be the terms, the waterfall, et cetera. I plug that in. That's about it. I would say the big ones are the budget and the floor map, essentially. That makes sense. So because you have so much experience on this, what are the asset classes that you've seen are the most profitable? So the secret sauce here. (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, obviously. 
it's, you know, we're at a position where we're actually trying to do more um, academics as well, because we are obviously seeing a lot of projects. Um, and we think that's going to be beneficial for the entire community that we're building here. I would say, I mean, profitability is a challenging answer, I guess, <laughs> not to dance around or be diplomatic. It, it's, um, you're probably seeking lower returns, but also lower risk in a yeah. lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but several class A areas still in the, in the country. I should clarify that both all of our freelancers, as well as all the projects we work on are national to the United States. We'd love to expand. We're just not there yet. I would say profitability here really depends on who your equity is and what kind of terms you can get there. Yeah. I think debt has become, frankly, a little bit more commoditized. Obviously, rates are a little bit similar across the board. You know, you might win a couple of basis points here and there. In terms of construction costs, everyone deals with them equally, unless you have you're vertically integrated with a construction company, like, you know, like some of the bigger guys like Blackstone are trying to do. Outside of that, you know, the secret sauce really comes down to how cheap your equity is um, right. or how creative you can get with it. As far as asset class, I can only tell you volume-wise, residential is still by far the biggest mm-hmm. volume player here in terms of construction specifically, but, you know, any kind of value add as well. Office has been tricky over the last year, but that is definitely our second biggest. I will give a little bit of secret sauce here. Uh, medical office and medical use is booming across the country. And it frankly has been since inception. So this was even pre-pandemic. Outside of that, industrial acquisition, again, for the right buyer, right? Not everybody's looking for 30% IRRs. Some people are just trying to hit, you know, 10. If they tend to hit 10, they're happy. And so are their investors. Got it. Um, I will note that the big one here, and I actually accidentally skipped over it, is management fee, right? As a sponsor, you're not just making money off the waterfall. You're making money off operating this from your investors mm-hmm. as well. Even if the returns are low, you know, like I said, the money might be foreign, right? It might be coming from a country where there's negative rates and they're more than happy to get a deal here that's, in our eyes, not very profitable. Um, right. But from their point of view, it's, it's, a, it's a safe place to park money, right? And if it's it gives money. them an extra, like, yeah, exactly. It gives them an extra six or 7% annually, they'll take it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. If it's, you know, if it's in some parts of, you know, California or Texas or Florida or New York, that they view as very secure, right? <laughs> Obviously, here's a conversation, but you know everything has to be compared in, in, in apples to apples. It's secure for them. It's it's higher than whatever they're getting in their country. They're more than happy to park it. So even a seven percent deal makes sense. And my last question on this: Do you see higher profits in certain markets? For example, you know I know that if you get something entitled in San Francisco, yes, it could end up being a great property. However, it depends on how long the entitlement takes. Have you seen a trend of, you know, Texas uh, and Dallas, let's say, being a better market when it's all said and done? Or it's, again, still very relative? Absolutely. Again, it's something that wasn't included here to avoid complexity. But, you know, this construction is set to 24 months. If eight months of this was construction and the remainder was pre-development, right, permitting, entitlement, etc., right? That's a, that's a tougher pill to swallow for a lot exactly. of people, right? It's, it basically says, okay, well, I can spend a year and a half and still not know if I can build this, right? And all the money might be wasted. I would say t- Texas is a lot softer in terms of regulation and entitlement, generally speaking. Obviously, the coastal states are pretty tough right now in New York and California, but you're also getting the security of New York and California there, so to speak. You're, you're right. The, the big one is entitlement. I would also note 
even through like the I-95 corridor, and this is just some insight, anything that's, you know, for example, industrial zone Mm -hmm. um, is still a a booming product, right? You, You know, I remember maybe two, three years ago, people are saying, okay, well, that's almost tapped out as a market. It's still going. And weirdly enough, the pandemic helped, right? Because everybody started buying from Amazon more or any yep. other kind of online marketplaces. You know, and this is not by any means meant to be used as financial advice. Yep. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I should not. But um, I, I do think there is years of backlog in terms of storage. To my own surprise, I should say, because I mm-hmm. was one of the people that, you know, maybe two years, three years ago, thought that industrial is close to tapped out and it's not even close. Wow, Renat, thank you so much. This has been phenomenal. Um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think is important for our audience to know? No, I appreciate it. And again, I, this was a pleasure for me and definitely a pleasure connecting. I, I guess the only thing is do your research is <laughs> my biggest um, note. Make sure that your numbers are vetted. That's obviously the biggest priority in most deals. Um, I would say 90% of the deals I've seen die die because of miscalculations in Mm. either cost or rents or pro forma. Thank you. That's another golden nugget right there. (laughs) I hope I helped. Again, this is definitely a pleasure. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, So I am available as well. If you want to email me, it's renat at bullpenre.com. Um, if you're interested in bullpen, we're more than happy to speak to you. Uh, that's support at bullpenre.com. And that is B as in boy, U-L-L-P-E-N. And all of these links will be under show notes as well. Great. Yep. That's it. Renat, thank you so much for making the time for joining us today and going over all of these details and my, uh, great <laughs> questions regarding market and, uh, I, I love everything this, so else. I classes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. And if you haven't already, make sure to join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Monte Carlo REI. You can ask all kinds of commercial real estate investing questions in our group. It's private and it's just for us. And I will see you next time.